You're listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God, because He's our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of the Keep Going Podcast. Right now, we're in a series called A Walk Through the Psalms, and today our focus is on Psalms 57 through 63. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple spiritual observations from my own daily Bible reading. Let's review last week's podcast in two points. Number one, we found connections between the book of Exodus and book two of the Psalms, and saw the way God made bitter water sweet for Moses and made a sinful heart clean for David. Number two, we looked at how faithful God is to us when we confess. The bitter water was made sweet by applying a branch in the desert, and our sinful hearts are made clean by applying the righteous branch, Jesus. My favorite scene in Star Wars, The Force Awakens, is when Rey, the protagonist, is captured by stormtroopers and shackled in a room. She kicks and screams and makes threatening demands, and of course, her captors are unmoved. And then she realizes, wait a minute, I have the Force. So she very calmly uses a Jedi mind trick and says something like, you will unlock these shackles and let me walk out of the room. The stormtrooper repeats, I will unlock your shackles and let you walk out of the room. And he does. I like that scene so much because it reminds me of something similar in my own life. When I was in my 20s, I moved to Nashville for college. The area that was centrally located for all my needs happened to be in an affluent part of Nashville. Almost every one of these charming southern homes had some kind of guest house or a loft above the garage. And the rent for these small spaces was through the roof. Even so, when a space became available, the sign would only be in someone's front yard for one day or two before it was filled. On the weekend of my search, I seemed to have no luck. Every home with a vacancy was asking a rental fee far above my budget. When I asked one woman if she would consider reducing the rent by a couple hundred dollars, she actually laughed at me and said she could rent that space for a couple hundred more than what she was asking. And I knew she was right. At the very end of the day, I saw a new sign. I knocked on the landlord's door, and he told me the rent was $1,100, which might sound reasonable now, but this was what he was asking almost 20 years ago for a very small space. My roommate and I could only go as high as $650, but this was the best rental we'd seen all day. I wanted that property so badly that my brain immediately started justifying a higher price. I could teach more art lessons. I could take more custom curtain orders. I asked the landlord if he would reduce the rent by just a couple hundred dollars. No, it's 1100 firm. I've had calls from four other people wanting this property just today. Why would I reduce the rent the first day I put the sign in the yard? I sighed and left. It was my last house of the day. The next morning I woke and started praying before my feet hit the floor. I needed this housing situation to be resolved. Suddenly, in my heart, I heard Exodus 11. 
Now, the Lord often brings specific scriptures to my heart when I need them, but I usually know that verse already. For instance, if I had heard Exodus 14, 14, I would already know what it says. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. But Exodus 11? What in the world is in Exodus 11? I brushed my teeth and got ready for the day, but Exodus 11 would not leave me alone. Finally, I looked it up. It's a very short chapter announcing the plague of the firstborn, but in it there is one line that I knew was for me. God tells the Israelites to go ask their Egyptian masters to give them silver and gold before they leave. And God caused the Egyptians to look favorably upon the Israelites, it says. Immediately I knew I needed to go back and ask that landlord not to reduce the rent just a little, but down to my exact rental budget. Now, my mother was in town to help me search, and I told her, hey, first thing, we're going to go back to that best property, and I'm going to ask him for my exact rental budget. She said, no, we're not. That won't work. He already told you no to just a couple hundred off last night. I said, yeah, yeah, but this is different. God's telling me to be confident in him, just to walk up and ask for exactly what I need. I have to try it. She answered, well, if you do that, then you're doing it by yourself. I am not going to embarrass myself by watching you ask him again. And for an even lower price, no way. That won't work, Nika. I wasn't faced. I knocked on that landlord's door. Good morning, sir. May I ask if that property is still available for rent? Yes, for 1100 a month. Then I would like to rent it, sir, for 650 a month. Okay, I'll go get the contract. And I froze. I wasn't sure he had heard me. Had I, had I mumbled? When he returned, though, he had adjusted the renter's agreement to reflect the difference. He rented me that property for 650 No negotiation, no questions, no hesitation. When I walked back to the car laughing... My mother's jaw dropped, and now she'll laugh if you ask her about that story. Now, that wasn't using the force. It wasn't a Jedi mind trick. And don't feel sorry for that landlord or think of him as a pawn either. God gives people free will. That's a gift, and I don't think he overrides free will. But we know from Philippians 2.13 that he works in us to will and act to accomplish his good purposes. He said of Abraham what he says of his children today, I will bless those who bless you. I think God knew that that landlord was going to love having me as a neighbor. I fed his dog when he was out of town. I got his mail. I checked on him when he was sick. I had kind and responsible friends over. My roommate and I made him laugh. We left the apartment better than we found it. God wasn't manipulating that man by urging him to show me favor. By giving that landlord one more chance to bless me, God was giving that landlord one more chance to be blessed by me. I will always remember that story. And by the way, plenty of other times in my life I've tried to talk someone into a drastic reduction in a fee or an increase in my pay or some other benefit to me, and it has never worked, except on the very few occasions when God told me to go ask for it. That's how he makes sure I know it's the greatness of his favor, not the greatness of my negotiating skills. The Israelites were slaves who couldn't have asked their masters for so much as a day off. But when they asked their masters for all their silver and gold, it worked. 
That's what you call the greatness of God's favor. And you would think they would have remembered that story. But just two months later, exactly two months later, they reach the desert of Sinai and Moses climbs a mountain. God says to him, I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then there was a powerful thunderstorm in the cloud. The people heard it. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and they heard it. The whole mountain shook with a violent earthquake. They heard it. As the horn blast grew louder and louder, God thundered his reply to Moses. The people heard it. They heard the voice of God, and they trembled. Then Moses went higher on the mountain and disappeared into the cloud. He stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights. And the whole time he is there, God is giving him instructions for the tabernacle and its furnishings. He told Moses specific details about the artistry of the tabernacle, how much of it would be made from silver and gold. But while he's gone, something terrible happens. We read in Exodus 32. When Moses failed to come down the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Make us some gods who can lead us. This man, Moses, who brought us here from Egypt, has disappeared. We don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron said, Tell your wives and sons and daughters to take off their gold earrings and then bring them to me. He took all the gold earrings, melted them down, and made a golden idol in the shape of a calf. The people said, These are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. What? They trembled when they heard the thundering voice of God But then there were 40 days of waiting, and the silence was enough to break them. I would be amazed by their infidelity if it were not so true about me at times. The reason they turned to idols is right there in the first verse. When Moses failed to come down the mountain right away, the people went to Aaron. Make us some gods who can lead us. This man Moses, who brought us here from Egypt, has disappeared. We don't know what has happened to him. All it took for the Israelites to forget the voice of God was one, when something didn't happen right away, and two, when what they were depending on had disappeared. When we're talking about what didn't happen right away, we're only talking about 40 days. The Israelites couldn't wait six weeks. When we're talking about disappearing, we're only talking about being covered by a cloud. Moses hadn't really disappeared. He was only divinely disguised for a little bit. I don't know about you, but there have been many times that that was all it took for me to forget the voice of God. He tells me something, gives me the indication of a good ending coming, but then it doesn't happen right away. I mean, I had a sure feeling that it would be soon, but I'm left waiting. And I cry out, what you said to me, God, when will it happen? Or he shows me something, opens my eyes to an opportunity or to a person or whatever, and then it disappears. I mean, one minute it was there and then it is gone. And I'm left looking all around me. I can't see. I cry out, what you showed me, God? Where did it go? My friend Allison calls that operating in conditions of low visibility. I can wait on something I can see. But when I'm left waiting and can't see at the same time, my hand starts reaching out for something to hold, as if I'm in the dark. Think of it. Why do we reach out in the literal dark? You know, like if we get out of bed at night. We reach out to protect ourselves. 
We don't want a stumped toe from the living room chair or a bruised shin from the coffee table. We don't want to get hurt. And that's the reason my hand goes out in a situational darkness in my life too, to protect myself. I don't want to get hurt. So I'll hurry up and force an ending even when that wasn't the one that God was sending. I'll hurry up and make a good enough opportunity or find a good enough person or a good enough whatever, even though my solution wasn't part of the provision that God had planned. I trade the voice of God for something I can see. I will create a situation myself, something I can reach out and touch in order to protect myself from getting hurt. I'm foolish if I don't recognize this as idolatry. The Israelites traded the voice of God for something they could see, something they could reach out and touch. They created a golden calf. Romans 1.25 convicts me. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Is it any coincidence what the Israelites used to make that golden calf? Aaron didn't ask them to turn in their bracelets or their necklaces. He didn't ask them to turn in goblets or platters or ornaments. He had them turn in their earrings. It couldn't have been more symbolic. They had to pretend they had not heard the thunder. They had to pretend they hadn't heard the shattering blast of the horn. And the thing about those earrings, the heart-wrenching thing about those earrings, is that they were supposed to be a blessing. God gave the people those earrings in Exodus 11. The people were supposed to remember the story of how the Egyptians had just handed over their jewelry. But no, a few months later, the waiting brings on amnesia, and they forget how good God has been to them. And at the very moment that they're melting down their golden earrings, those blessings from God, what is God doing? He's giving Moses those instructions for the tabernacle, how to create its furnishings with gold. He had given the Egyptians gold to the Israelites because he had a plan in mind for that gold. That pagan jewelry was going to be turned into instruments of worship. The people used the very thing that Yahweh had meant for his glory and turned it against him. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't done the same thing. There have been many times I've misused a blessing, thinking that once it had been given, it was mine to use as I wished. But God has plans for the things he gives us. We are to multiply them and return the blessing to him and turn around to bless others. A blessing isn't a blessing in and of itself. A blessing is neutral. We have to use a blessing to worship God. Otherwise, we'll worship the blessing and be destroyed by it. The Israelites were almost destroyed by the blessing they tried to worship. God says to Moses, leave me alone so my anger can blaze against these people and destroy them all. I'll make a great nation out of you instead. But Moses begs God not to do it. Oh Lord, don't kill them. Remember your covenant with your servants. He wails out for mercy and God withdraws the impending disaster. That's where our touchstone verse comes in. The verse that connects Psalms to Exodus. It's Psalm 59, 11. Don't kill them, for my people soon forget such lessons. Just stagger them with your power and bring them to their knees. We are so quick to forget these lessons. And how does he stagger us with his power to bring us to our knees, to help us remember who he is and why he is the only one worthy of our worship? 
He staggers us with the power of his voice, of course, the very thing we tend to forget from Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. In the next episode, we'll talk more about the golden calf situation, specifically Aaron's role in it. But for now, we'll stop here. Lord, help us not to hold on to something that we create ourselves, but to hold on to the voice of the Creator. Stagger us with the sound of it. Today's music is from Psalm 62 by Shane and Shane and is used with permission. Have you pre-ordered my new book, Hunting Hope? Sign up for my email list to find out about the bonuses you will receive for pre-ordering. You'll also receive a free Hope poster each month of 2016. And if you enjoy this podcast every week, tell somebody about it or post a review on iTunes. And now, we know that we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. We'll talk soon. Until then, keep going.